talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lane Reese, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're going to just relax a little bit, take a little bit of a step back, look ahead to the future. It's always fun to talk about the future because the future at a place like Ohio State is typically filled with hope and excitement. So we are going to talk about, we're going to draft. We're going to talk about them in draft. Nine players that we think could show out in bowl practice in a way that gives them some energy going into the 2023 season. So this is different. Like bowl practice when you're trying to win a national championship is different than bowl practice when you're going to the Rose Bowl or Cotton Bowl or like, oh, well, you didn't raise your thing. And it's like, ah, oh, the old guys. That, then it's really the bowl practice in those situations like a year ago. Bowl practices, that's like the number one thing almost. It's like, well, we got to make sure that we're competent for the game, but like we're trying, this is time. It's like, it's like extra spring football. That's different here, Nathan, because that is not the number one thing. The number one thing is try to go beat Georgia. So of course that factors in. It's not going to be maybe as many opportunities. A lot of time in bowl practice when it's not for a national championship, you know, like they're, they're going like young guys versus young guys at the end of practice in a way that's like they send the old guys home and say, hey, we're, now we're going to go like let the JV play each other in a really like a really like productive, exciting way. And so, I, you know, I think we'll see less of that. So we're taking all that into consideration, but it's just fun to talk about young guys coming up. But there is one guy, Nathan, that we're not going to draft. And that's C.J. Hicks, and we don't have any information about it, but the last time we saw him, he was limping, being helped off the field after suffering a knee injury on kick coverage against Michigan. So our anticipation is that that is not a guy who's going to be doing something in bowl practice, although there's still every reason you would assume to be excited for C.J. Hicks about the 2023 season. Yeah, you would think even if it was a pretty bad injury, um, guys have come back. I mean, what Lathan Ransom did last year from a broken leg in the Rose Bowl to come back and be ready for opening day. I mean, that's that's certainly on the table. And <clears throat> we don't think it was nearly that bad, whatever happened to him, but could be ligament. We don't know. But something we're monitoring, we're trying to find out. I know people have texted at us, but we it hasn't come up with Ryan Day yet. I think it's probably something that will come up when we talk to him or the team next week. I think we'll we'll make sure to add. There's other things have been a, a bigger priority than a guy who is mostly just playing special teams. I'm not trying to downplay what he will be for next year. But yes, I, I if he if that had not happened, I absolutely think he would be drafted very high in something like this because we all have seen the promise. And he's a guy who, as a true freshman, is getting to play a lot of special teams, has been somewhat visible. And even though he's not playing a lot of defensive snaps, um, in, in preparation for a game like this, I think he would have gotten plenty of, of reps. I think I'll, if he's healthy, he'll potentially play a lot next year, but he's not going to be in this draft because we are trying to spin this a little bit towards bowl practice. So Nathan, we decided you'll have the number one pick. We're not going to do snake draft. So we'll do three rounds of this. Uh, it's just, we just want to talk about some different guys. And I think again, we we'll just take a step back and then we're going to dive in right again. We, we thought we might talk to Ohio State players this week. We are not talking to Ohio State players this week. We anticipate we will talk to Ohio State players next week. So there's not any information from interviews to convey. So we wanted to try to have a little fun. Nathan, who do you want to take with the number one pick? And I, and I think people know what this means. Before we get to the pick, the guy that always leaps to my mind with this is Draymond Jones, because I can very remember specifically Draymond Jones in a bowl prep. People like couldn't stop talking about Draymond Jones. And I, I think at one time, like 
They might have been getting on a bus after a practice at the bowl site. And I remember like grabbing him and being like, man, everyone's talking about you. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. And then it was like, oh, yeah. Then he became Draymond Jones. Like that's that's the guy, Steven, I have in my head. There are certain mm-hmm. other examples of this. Is there a guy that you have in your head when you talk about, hey, a guy who really showed something in December that was a prelude to the next season? To an extent, Okuda was kind of that, even if he was playing in 2018. He just re- – it felt like – he used bowl practice to turn himself into the number three pick in the NFL draft. Because from that point on, then he turned that bowl practice lead up into what he did in the Rose Bowl, into what he was doing in the spring, and into what he was doing in 2019. So that's names like that. These guys who are, they're, they've been in the program for a little bit. They just haven't necessarily had a moment to just get significant reps and bowl practice lets that happen. And then all of a sudden, all the hype that they had coming in pops immediately. So that's the first name that comes to my mind. Nathan, is there a guy that's in your head as you think about this idea? I would just remind people that it doesn't always have to be someone like CJ Hicks, who was a big time prospect, or Okuda, who's a big time prospect kind of coming into their own. I, the best examples from last season were one guy who was kind of like that, Teron Vincent, who was very late in his career as a former top prospect and finally seemed to kind of get some traction through the bowl season and then one of his better games to that point in the Rose Bowl, maybe his best game. And then Tommy Eichenberg, obviously, like a guy who had fallen out of a starting job and then falls back into one because Cody Simon's hurt and then takes what he does in the Rose Bowl as a defensive MVP and becomes, I think, a very good chance of being a second-team All-American this year, which is kind of a crazy jump for a guy who was sort of pushed aside last year. So the, bo- both examples of even veteran guys taking kind of a – a second chance almost like to rejuvenate their career and, and build into a, a, a bigger role. Okay. Nathan, who are you taking number one? So w- with all that said, I'm going to take a top prospect who was a true freshman this year. <laughs> 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 I, I, it's just uh, this matchup would seem to, if they want to get Sonny styles on a field and let him be a real part of the defense, this seems like the matchup that they could do it with. With the, the two tight ends that Georgia has and how much they are featured, if you were going to potentially alter your defensive scheme to match up with that, he seems poised to be able to do that. Whether you want to put an extra defensive back on the field, I don't know that that's really what he would maybe best work as. But if you just wanted to put a bigger nickel corner on the field, I'm sorry, nickel safety on the field, he could just play that spot for Tanner McAllister in in some of these matchups. I think this is going to be somewhat dependent. You know, you're you're going for a certain balance here between what you're giving up and what you're taking. But those tight ends are, are so prominently featured for Georgia, and the running game is so prominently featured for Georgia that if you think that he can handle it, then getting his size on the field, uh, I think, makes a lot of sense. And he's been a guy who, unlike C.J. Hicks, they have trusted on the field in real reps. It's been sporadic, but he's been out there. And I think that says something that and now within a whole other month to build, um, I think they could really work him into a, a real role. So it would, I don't even think it's that uh, controversial that he would jump to a top of a list like this. Steven, is he the guy you would have picked number one? Yeah, if we were going to name this draft, I think we were just going to call it the Sunny Styles and, and Gang draft because, yes, in the packages that they're probably going to use against Georgia, we've seen him play already. And, I mean, Jim Knowles calling him a secret weapon during fall camp and, and the way 
when we talked to Periano, the way he he gushed over him for a kid who just turned seventeen, turned turned eighteen, excuse me, last month and is supposed to be in high school. He has very quickly established a reputation around that building to where I think we all think he's probably going to be a starter next year. Where better to start building that momentum than in bowl practice? And if he act, and he's he's probably one of the few guys that we're going to draft here where that bowl practice can actually lead to something on December thirty first in terms of a role. So uh, according to PFF. 57 defensive snaps for Sonny Styles this year. First ones came against Toledo in week three. He had 11. Nine against Wisconsin in week four. 10 against Rutgers in week five. 12 against Michigan State in week six. Nine against Iowa after the bye in week eight. And then it actually has peeled back since then. Mm-hmm. Um, no defensive mm-hmm. snaps, snaps in week nine or 10. Four defensive snaps against Indiana in week 11, none against Maryland, and then two against Michigan. So I do think, like, when people are tuning in, but what? Like, Sonny Styles, like, against Georgia, like, on the field? We do. So Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, right? I mean, ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. You you talk about um, a combination of, of raw athleticism and football skill and the way that Georgia uses these guys. This is an efficient pass game. Tishu and I talked about it on the pod yesterday. You know, they're not a they're not an explosive down the field passing game. They're an efficient passing game and they throw to running backs and tight ends all the time. And Darnell Washington, it would be like he'd be like an all-American most places. He's the second he's the second tight end on Georgia because Brock Bowers is there. What so I, th- the thing that I think is is the comparison here. I mean, it's a very good comparison because I think Michael Mayer and and Brock Bowers are the two best tight ends in college football. And I thought of all the things this defense did, one of the best things it did all year was limit Michael Mayer in the Notre Dame opener by not putting it on one guy, by spreading it around. They had five or six different guys play to play involved in the coverage of Michael Mayer, linebacker under him, safety over top of him, a corner at times. Nathan, I think the, the obvious comparison here when you talk about would you change your defense for the playoff is we saw um, Marcus Williamson go from, right, like kind of nothing, not much, to a too deep safety look against Clemson in 2019 or 20? Was it 19 or 20? Well, 2019 was when they put Josh Proctor back there. They'd been playing the single high. They moved to a two high to put Proctor back there. That was changing the defensive scheme, and it did not go well. Or it did not go well right. enough. Uh, I, I, but I think it's a little so, bit. So the point and, and is, but that's, in that's the yeah. change. Right. Yeah. That's the change. So I guess I'm thinking more of 19 that they actually went from like, we're a single high team and now we're a two high team because we're right. playing Trevor Lawrence. And you wound up putting, actually, that's the better comparison. You had a young, talented guy in Proctor that you changed the defense and sort of created a role for him and then put him out there. And then I think it wound up being probably too much for him. And that is a little bit I'm questioning the idea of not that they would be changing their defense, but what what would be – if you guys think that there could be a role for Sonny Styles in the Georgia game, what would it be and who would it be in place of? Well, that's what I was saying. Like, I, I don't think this is quite the same thing as the Proctor example because that was a schematic change that had ripple effects to other positions because of where everybody was lining up. This, you would keep the same lineup. It would just be a matter of substituting him in. And like I said before, I think it would be a matter of, do you think he, and because George's tight ends, and they have two of them that are this good, yeah, that you need point, yeah. to have him on the field instead of Tanner McAllister. That Tanner McAllister is the better matchup for like slot receivers and such like pl- players like that. 
but the Sonny Styles would be the better matchup for tight ends. I don't, I'm not sitting here saying I know the answer to that question for sure. And I, I think it's all these things are nuanced and, and it's more than just one thing for one thing. But I just wonder if that's something that they will have in mind. It's something that they will try at times if they think that that is the preferable matchup, whether it's even just in, you know, um, late drive red zone type things where you know that those guys are going to be targeted. Yeah, he's already been in the goal line packages when they do go to that. I think this is not necessarily a Tanner McAllister conversation. It's more of a Sunny Styles lets you not have to put three linebackers on the field. So maybe it's instead of playing Cody Simon as your third linebacker, it's just when you do take uh, Tanner McAllister off the field when it's not, you know, three wide receivers, you're just putting another safety out there. It's just Sonny Styles' body type. So it's more of that. It's, it's not necessarily taking away from Tanner McAllister's snaps. It's taking away from what Cody Simon or uh, EA would be getting in those situations. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I, I, feel, I felt like they weren't afraid – like Tanner McAllister certainly was involved in the coverage on Mayer, right? And again, but it wasn't, they just played a lot of looks where they didn't say, they didn't play a lot of man looks, it felt like, against Mayer, where they said, all right, we're going to defend this guy with this guy. That They yeah. were just like, they were they were putting him in between people and playing some zone looks. Um, I don't know. This is, Tishu was asking about this. Like, could this be a thing? And I just wonder about it because I do think, and, and I have been, uh, probably lukewarm on Tanner McAllister since he got here. Like good, solid guy, but you know, I, you know, I think, and and maybe I was too low on him. But I do think we saw right. He was off the field on for a handful of snaps against Michigan, and they attacked mm-hmm. Cameron Martinez immediately in that situation. And it's like, okay, well, I like he's pretty darn solid. Um, I I could see. I certainly think the idea of like Sonny Styles is mixed in because there were some games right early on where we would just see this like, oh, Sonny Styles is on the field, like mm-hmm. you know, on a down that matters. Like, what is happening? And then it was just like they kind of just put him in almost just to see. Oh, let's put him in in a, in a down that matters and see what happens. Like, oh, here he is. He's coming up and he's attacking somebody and making a tackle. And it was like, oh, I would be surprised, Nathan, if this would turn into again for a guy who's played ten or twelve snaps at the most. If this would turn into like, oh yeah, Sonny Styles played like forty snaps against right. Georgia. At this point, I would be surprised by that. A certain look, a certain situation where you want to unleash him in a moment, ten to fifteen snaps. Okay, but do you mm-hmm. would you be surprised by yeah. a forty snap roll, or are you open yeah. to forty snap roll? No, I'm presenting this as more of like a situational thing. I don't think it would grow to that extent. But I also think it, it your your point about Mayer is well taken but i also think that we have to remember the the dynamic of the offense that they're playing in total and george's offense i think gets overlooked sometimes because the defense is so good but uh, you know as you said before it's efficient it's it's very physical and i just think they can threaten you in in so many more ways than notre dame could and i'm I'm curious what like people what, what the ripple effects of that are throughout the rest of the defensive backs. When when those guys have maybe more responsibilities against a team like Georgia, does it expose them more to the two tight ends on the field at the same And that's the other thing. It's not just Mayer. It's having two guys as good as Georgia does. So, I, But I, I, I am saying also, yes, I think it would be more situational. I don't think we'd be a situation where Sonny Styles starts and he plays most of the game. Like that, That's not what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Bowers is just like Ohio State had Jackson plays, Georgia has 
Brock Bowers plays. And sometimes it's jet sweep, sometimes it's tight end screen. They they are creative in getting him the ball in a way that I, Notre Dame just wasn't. Michael Mayer was just a very good tight end for them, who sometimes he's their first read, sometimes he wasn't. And Michael Mayer in that game against Ohio State had Tyler Buckner, who was making his first career start, yes. throwing to him. Yep. Brock Bowers has Stetson Bennett, who has won a national championship as a Heisman finalist, has, however, you know, a season and two thirds as a starter for the best team in the country. Mm-hmm. So that idea, it's not just about the tight end. It's about, as you said, Stephen, like the game plan, the creativity to get guys involved. And also do you have a quarterback who can get you the ball? And certainly Stetson Bennett is far past what Notre Dame was trying to do there. So, you know, this would be one of those things where we will have to try to get a vibe on this and they're not going to give it away. But as much as you, I think you don't want to put, a young guy in a situation where he would potentially be exposed, not because of talent, just because of inexperience. And now something's on the line and you got beat by a double move or they, they run a, a pick play at you and you like that kind of thing that happens to people sometimes. But I do think if it turned out like if Sonny styles, Nathan was on the field, if Georgia comes out with the ball and Ohio state lines up and Sonny styles is on the field, Ohio State fans watching wouldn't go, oh, no. They'd go, oh, ho, ho, ho. yes, right? They would. Well, as much as we're saying, like, ah, we just mean 14 snaps. If if it looked like they were getting ready to play Sunny Style 60, I think people throughout this state would be, like, ordering Sunny Styles jerseys by the end of the first drive. Well, yeah, because of what it means for 2023, too. This isn't like when you – got to Minnesota and Denzel Burke is on the field to start that game because of injuries. Somebody had to play cornerback and give him credit for keeping the job and everything. This would be because Iowa State has other good safeties, but they decided this matchup, the biggest matchup of the year against the best team they've played, they want Sonny Styles on the field. Yeah, I think that that would be pretty huge. And I to go back to what you were saying before about exposing him, that sort of thing. I think it's important that when Ryan Day has talked about him, more so than, and, and Jim Knowles to an extent too, the, the more so than skill and size and strength and stuff like that. They talk a lot about his maturity, his work ethic, his just the personality he has, the, the way his mind works, like those sort of things, being being more mature than his age. And I think that would be a prerequisite for whether you would even consider putting somebody on the field like that. Sonny carries himself like a dude who grew up around a bunch of elite athletes in his household, but then also, his, I mean, he grew up with Jack Sawyer and playing with Jack Sawyer is two years older than him. His, uh, his older brother plays at Notre Dame as a wide receiver right now. His dad was a linebacker at Ohio State. His mom was a good athlete. I think his sister was a good athlete. Like, he grew up playing. He even said it. It's part of the reason why he reclassified. He spent his entire life playing up. So now all of a sudden, he's got to play with kids his age, and it's too easy for him. So as a result, he's here early. I do think we, we everybody knows what a redshirt freshman is, right? And there's some things that come out, freshman All-American teams and that kind of thing. And people usually have a debate about why do you why do you lump together redshirt freshmen and true freshmen on these freshman All-American teams? Because I do think the, the okay. assumption of that yeah. is like, hey, you just got here and you're good. And it really should be true freshmen because someone's like, well, you just didn't play last year. Or even like, well, you... Like you weren't quite ready to play. You weren't good enough to play, but then you were good enough to play in year two. And all of a sudden you're a freshman. Anyway, I almost feel like Nathan, we know what a redshirt freshman is. There are enough guys reclassifying now. How about this term? Can we invent this term? A green shirt freshman that you're so young, you shouldn't even be here yet. You're, you're not mm. quite a freshman, 
you should be a high school senior and green, right? Because that means you're inexperienced, you're green. So he's a green shirt freshman. So Nathan, I do think that's even a little bit different than a conversation. Because usually it's like, Bob, by the end of the year, you're not a freshman anymore, right? People say that, oh, well, now you've had this whole year. Well, he's He's just, I think now, now he's a freshman. (laughs) He was going through all this, so he wasn't a high school senior anymore. So now he's finally officially like at the freshman stage. And I do think that would just be, that would just be pretty extraordinary. But as Stephen just laid out, and as you laid out, right, his background, the way coaches talk about him, he is pretty extraordinary. So I, I guess we don't, we don't want to put a cap on how much potentially Sonny Styles could surprise everybody because it feels like this guy is a pretty potentially a special guy and a special football player. Yeah, and a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about over the course of this, I think the jump that you make in bull prep maybe doesn't necessarily show up on the field because you don't get a chance. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get to go out there and play a big role. But he's one of the few guys, as I was making my list, where I was like, oh, I could see them actually utilizing him as part of a game plan because he just seems to be that advanced and because they seem to trust him. I think that's the important word here. Like when you're talking about a true freshman of any age, I think trust is huge. And Ohio State has put trust in him already. That might be a good story idea How, with these kids who do the, the reclassify. What's the payoff at the end? Of, like how many of these kids, if you're good enough to do that, how many of them actually end up living up to some of the hype that comes with, that can come with that? Because I mean, we just saw Quinn Ewers do it, and obviously Texas is still, you know, ascending under a new head coach. So we'll see what he is next year. Sonny Styles just did it. Uh, what's the kid who went to USC and then transferred to Georgia and then West Virginia, the quarterback? He's done it. JT Daniels. Uh, JT Daniels did it, and I would, yeah, and he's back in the portal again. I would assume now that we're living in this NIL world, we're going to see more kids at least try to do it. I wonder. I wonder what the how often those kids, because they're typically five stars, top 100 recruits. There's not a three star out there that's reclassifying. How many of them actually end up having five star careers or having quality careers versus, you know, the JT Daniels, where it's you're basically a journeyman at this point because he's going to be on his fourth team in four years. I do think, I think there's like the payoff and then there's like the literal payoff because I think ideally mm-hmm. it's if you want it, you're starting your clock earlier so i almost think if you enroll early and you don't go to the nfl after three years was it a mistake because now you're on a four-year clock and you could have just stayed in high school and then gone to the nfl in three years out of college that as soon as you don't stay ahead it's well what did you really gain by getting ahead well you know that first year instead of being in high school i got to learn everything as a freshman and i'm not saying I guess I don't want to say it was a mistake, but would it be like, was it worth it for what you did mm-hmm. give up just for the, maybe the stress you put yourself under that kind of thing. I also think, I mean, it's okay to challenge yourself, continually challenge yourself. And like you said, Steven play up, play up, play up. I'm used to playing up. And so even if I don't consider, if I don't continue that acceleration, but like JT Daniels, for instance, it's like, okay, well now you're going to be on your fourth college and in college for how long. And like you were in a hurry to get to college for this? Like, mm-hmm. what if you just had stayed, right? So um, I do think, and and we probably don't have enough data now because early enrolling is enough of a new thing. Yeah. But I would be, you know, the idea of oh, like, absolutely. I got one more year out of my NFL career and I got, I got to my second contract one year earlier. And here's the financial breakdown of what that meant. That's ideally what you're starting now. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just, hey, I'm ready to hang out with college people instead of high school people. Maybe that's part of it too. But I do think it's interesting discussion. Okay, that was long on the number one pick, who everybody would take number one. And we needed, this is almost like a Let's Talk About Sunny Styles podcast. I'm not, I have a guess who Steven is going to take number two. And we'll find out next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, we're taking nine guys in this draft, nine guys we think may be able to use bowl prep to build themselves up to pop in 2023, or maybe even pop in the Peach Bowl against Georgia. Steven, number two pick to you, who is it? Yeah, with Hicks being out, it kind of opens the, 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 the landscape here of who you can take. I think this guy just needs a full month of healthy work where he can do something with it come the actual bowl game. And that's why I mentioned Jeff Okuda earlier, because I think he can do some of the same things. And that's Jordan Hancock. There was a lot said about him and and the way people talk both on the record and off the record, if you just talk to people about what the expectations were for him this year. And then he had a hamstring injury that wiped out the first half of the season, and it never seemed like he was able to get into a groove in a way where they trusted him out there. Well, he's healthy now, assumingly. We haven't actually laid eyes on these people and you know, um, a couple of weeks now, but assuming he's fully healthy and he's able to get back to whatever he was doing in fall camp before the injury and in spring practice, maybe this is his Jeff Okuda moment. Maybe he uses the Georgia game and a potential national championship game as a coming to age party. And then we spend the entire off season going, Hey, this former top 100 recruits in his third year. And he's looking like a first round corner. And that's a position where Ohio State kind of needs that right now. They need a dude. Maybe they, and if, if that's not the case, maybe they start to look to the portal to find them. But as of right now, for the rest of this season, they need somebody in that cornerback room to be a dude. And I think it feels like they were expecting George Hancock to be a dude, and he never had an opportunity to do that. This is not the guy I thought you would take. And then I thought I was going to take this guy third. I thought I would take Jordan Hancock mm. third because I think it's a good case. And we are, Nathan, we are curious because, again, he played special teams against Michigan, which would indicate, okay, it's not. It's not an injury that is preventing him from taking the field. He was in uniform. He played special teams, but he didn't play defense against Michigan. After all the things that that Ryan Day and everybody else said about him, where they thought he was, if he had been healthy all year, he would have been in the mix to start at the beginning of this year. There's a lot of cornerback conversation looking ahead for 2023, Nathan. So Cam Brown will be gone, right? Or could Cam Brown be back? He could. Cam Brown march walk on senior day. He could be back, but my indications, people I've talked to, is he is not expected back. Okay, so then you would expect Denzel Burke, J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock back. Jair Brown, Ryan Turner also here, but you got to add to that room. Could they get guys in the portal? But With it does the three feel like guys they expected in the in the recruiting class that are supposed and, to come in as well. And, but if you said like the the best opportunity for this cornerback room to make a leap in 2023 probably is the Jordan Hancock that everybody was fired up about is healthy enough to be that guy. That's the best way for this cornerback room to get a huge boost next year, right? And maybe we'll start seeing it in December. Yeah. Hancock was high on my list too. And for for all the reasons Steven said, because it's someone that as much as we talked about him and all those great things were said about him, we still haven't seen it. And again, the, the usual PFF grade, grain of salt, but his PFF grades are bad. Like from when he did get on the field this year. Mm-hmm. And I think he was just the latest example. And I think it, it, you know, sometimes you hear these things and it sounds like an excuse or it sounds like coach speak, but look at Denzel Burke, look at Cam Brown. When he came back, 
look at Jordan Hancock when he came back. Like the practice time these guys missed showed up on the field, I think, 100%. Like that's where you were seeing so many breakdowns in play. And so the first thing is getting those guys healthy and getting them, like Steven says, getting them a some momentum through just practicing consistently for several days in a row. I think that's something that cornerback room has missed really the, the entire season. And I wrote today about the transfer portal kind of situation that Ohio State's in. And I know you talked about it earlier this week on the Rants pod, Doug, so you don't have to relitigate the whole thing. But it's the, the situation they were in last year is similar to the one that presents right now as far as having this young group of guys, but yet still feeling like maybe you need to bring in somebody at the top of that, but then also wondering what the repercussions are for that. And I think that this past year probably told them that they need to go get somebody regardless because you can't bank. It's one thing to bank on the potential of someone, but health can get in the way of that. And then where you're left holding the bag. And that happened this year. So I would imagine that they do still go get someone. And um, I would encourage people to go back and listen again to the, that, that pod, the rants pod to, to get more detail from Doug about some of the guys who are out there, but it, it, it's going to, they need to ramp up the competition in that room too. I think they have some guys, whether it's Hancock, whether it's JK Johnson, whether it's Jair Brown, that seem to be on the cusp of like being guys that they can count on to be frontline big 10 players, but I think ramping up the competition in that room, making them prove it only makes this defense better. And if there's attrition because of that, I think you live with it. Okay. I think Jordan Hancock is a good pick. We all are, are in agreement that that is a, a, a good choice there. I'm going to go now with the guy that I thought would be the pick. And it's because both of you guys liked this guy as maybe popping in the Michigan game. And that's Caden Curry at defensive end. Mm who, if you look at Zach Harrison leaving, if you look at Javante Jean-Baptiste, who was played a, you know 250 snaps, uh, a lot of that at that jack position, right? Tyler Friday, there's just going to be uh, some opportunity here, even though JT Tuimolo-Wow and Jack Sawyer aren't going anywhere. But who might be, in a world where they had a real kind of top three of defensive ends this season, and then JJB was kind of right there as the fourth guy, who it might be the third guy in that mix next year at defensive end with Sawyer and JT, and maybe it's Caden Curry, who it just feels like, Stephen, people say good things about him. It feels like he had a mature freshman year where, you know, it, it, it he just was kind of around, like he felt in the mix, even if his snaps were fairly limited, 81 snaps this season according to PFF, which certainly is not a lot, but um, it feels like legitimately there's some excitement around him snaps this year, mostly in the blowout games, 13 against Arkansas State, 18 against Toledo, nine against Wisconsin, 13 Rutgers, 12 Michigan State, 11 Iowa, one against Northwestern, and four against Indiana. Again, those are all defensively, plus what he's done special teams. What do you think about Caden Curry potentially, Stephen? Yeah, I, I would have picked him if they weren't playing in a college football playoff game. I think, and it's because of the guys who are ahead of him right now and the way Larry Johnson rotates where he kind of goes older over younger still. Whether you agree with that or not, it's a different situation. But I agree he should be in the top five because he's on multiple special teams units, which is impressive for a dude who's a defensive end. It's one thing to be like the hand in your dirt guy for you know a field goal block, but he's on pump block. He's on, I think he's on kick kickoff coverage, which is 
I mean, you're a defensive end. Well, you're not really, he's on kickoff return. He's on all these different units. And it's felt like he's been flashing since the spring. And there's going to be plenty of opportunity, as you were mentioning, Doug. There's going to be days when they just send the old guys home and say, young guys have at it. And those are going to be the days where Caden Curry is just going to be wreaking havoc on third-team offensive linemen the entire. So I like this. I think he can use this to springboard it, even though I don't think, unlike the other two guys we picked so far, it might not be available to him as much on the actual game day as it is on the 30 days leading up to the game. I think the important thing with Curry is not just that he's playing on all these units, but like he's flashed things at times. He's gone out there and made plays Mm -hmm. as a true freshman, even though sometimes it's late in the game, whatever. Like those things are important. It's why we took notice of Tyleek Williams at this time last year in the proper context. And I think that Curry goes in that same conversation. And if this was a non-playoff game, if Utah hadn't beaten USC and Ohio State was playing in the Orange Bowl or whatever, then Maybe, you know, we don't know for sure. Like, does Zach Harrison play? Is there somebody else that's banged up who doesn't push it and play in that bowl game, whatever? And does that open an opportunity for Curry to be on the field? That would have been interesting. But I think Steven's right. Like, this may not be where they mix him in a lot, but he's clearly on the verge. Like, and, and in some ways, I mean, you could argue, like, whether he or Styles is the one that has actually on the field flash more things this year that shows you that they're ready for something. It's, it's a different position. It's, 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 it's a, it's a different, it's, it's apples and oranges almost, but he's not far behind. I don't think in terms of like looking like he's on the cusp of a real impact. All right. We're not doing a snake draft. So the fourth pick Nathan is to you. So I hope this isn't controversial. This is somebody who's actually played a lot, but I'm, I'm going to pick them here and I think I can defend it. I'm going to take Jack Sawyer here. And to me, it's not like he hasn't shown he can play yet. He clearly has. But we've talked so much to Jim Knowles about the progression of this defense and that position's progression in this defense, the jack position. And he's been telling us, like, well, we haven't installed everything. There's more coming. We're going to, there's more things we can do with the jack. There's more, you know, someday it's going to turn into the Leo, all these things. And we've written about those things as he said them and, and kind of tried to imagine little bits and pieces of how that could change week to week. But I mean, they're really only getting like what two full practices a week uh, with, with a lot of game prep for a specific opponent. And sometimes that matches up well with what you want to do with that. And sometimes it doesn't. Now you've got a month and this month begins as Ryan Day has said now multiple times with a focus on fundamentals. And I think that that opens the door for them to go back and um, just tweak the base of this defense a little bit to incorporate some of the things they want to do with the Jack. So it would not surprise me at all to get to this matchup with, again, the multiple tight ends and uh, Georgia, you know, physical run game, all those things like you to, to see Jack Sawyer used in new ways in the peach bowl would not be a surprise. I think to anyone at this point, because they've just, they've telegraphed it. They've said it's coming. It's just a matter of, when it when it sinks up and now they've got a month to do something with it steven you said good pick were you thinking about jack sawyer in the same way i was but the the jack position specifically we are now in the games where this position needs to start having an impact for a team who's trying to win a national title it would be very nice if he starts blossoming towards that leo against georgia and then maybe if they get to the national title again but yes i think we need to at bare minimum start see some signs towards 
Ooh, Jack can be something special in this position heading into next season. So that's why I like it. It's, it's not so much him handing the dirt, getting sacks, because that's what we expect JT to be going forward. But in this specialized role that they have spent the last year teaching Jack, I mean, we're a year into it now. You would like to see it start having a, a legitimate impact against like-minded teams because you didn't really see it that often against Michigan. Yeah, we've talked about this, right? I got very hepped up about the idea of like, oh, they've been saving the evolution of the Jack for the Michigan game. And then Jack Sawyer played half as many snaps against Michigan as he had in any other game this year. He only played 15 snaps against Michigan. Other games, 26, 27, 25, 26, 27, 27, 24, 31, 34, 22, 29. It's remarkable. Like It was like the exact same role every week only 15 snaps against Michigan and in the end he played about 315 snaps that's about 120 fewer than Zach Harrison and JT Tuomolo out so like it was a different role for him I think we all picked Jack Sawyer before the season to lead Ohio State in in sacks with like I think we did like seven or eight or something around there and I was like oh we're all wrong on that I just double checked he did lead Ohio State in sacks. He tied my call with four and a half. What a world that we are in again. Like, Ohio State, what was it last? Like, have they had a guy get more than seven sacks, like, in any of the last three years? This is getting remarkable. Not since. That is. I mean, they've had years where it's like three, three and a half. Yeah. Not since. So this is, this is. How much of this is a an evolution of just college football offenses. Cause I mean, Georgia's had one of the best events in the country. They have like, they're like 62nd in the country in sacks. Yeah, that's part of it. And I think sometimes like, if you're really good at it, teams aren't just like, just aren't going to let you do it. Right. They're yeah. going to get rid of the ball quickly. Um, they're going to make sure that you don't, they, they don't let you beat them that way. But you know, but Nick Herbig still had 11 sacks and nobody on Ohio state had more than four and a half. So like, I think, yes, but also like, man, I think it wouldn't matter how you evolve as an offense. Like Chase Young is still going to get double digit sacks at, at his this peak, right? I'm not asking anybody to be Chase Young, but I, I think I had not thought of Jack Sawyer this way, but this is, inter- this is interesting because it is, you can see without Zach Harrison, even though Zach wasn't a Jack, like just that you Jack Sawyer's impact and number of snaps should go up a year from now, but also would there be something in here? Cause initially I think that at the surface look, and I'm still at the surface look on Georgia, just what I've watched during the year, you know, there, are, there are similarities between how Georgia tries to attack you and how Michigan tries to attack you. Right. And so then like, does that mean that like, this is an opportunity for Jack Sawyer if against Michigan, yeah. he played half as much. Like, I, I don't know. I'm curious about that. And then again, if they were playing, they're playing Caleb Williams and USC. And it's like, who's the guy on the field that has the best chance to like pressure Caleb Williams and then chase him down when he moves around. I don't know, maybe Jack Sawyer. So I'm curious about this matchup, but the idea of that continued a year from now, because it's very possible, Nathan, that a year from now when we get to spring practice, Jim Knowles is going to be like, oh, we we did 11% of the Jack stuff last year. Right. We evolved from 2% to 11%. And like the whole time we're like, oh, you know, like he could say that. And then a year from now, when they play Notre Dame in week four, and it's like, oh, like Jack Sawyer's lined up as a safety sometimes. And sometimes Jack Sawyer is riding piggyback on my call. And sometimes Jack Sawyer's doing a handstand. And it's like, oh, that's the Jack. Just how Knowles operates, Nathan. I you, you th- I love when Jim Knowles talks football, but it also might be like, oh, 
Oh, no. He was giving us 4% of the information the whole time, and we just didn't realize it. Well, go back to the spring, go back to even earlier than that, like when Knowles comes in. I think it's you're talking about theory of what he could do with the defense, and then you match that with the reality of what happens once you start evaluating players. I don't think anyone would argue that Zach Harrison and JT Tumalau needed to be on the field as much as possible. In fact, people have argued that they weren't on the field often enough at critical times in late right. games and things like that. Sure. So that was one of the reasons why I think the Jack didn't. And even for this matchup, I still wonder it, it's, I don't know if it like explodes in terms of snaps. I think part of it is just though, can you use this next month to continue Jack Sawyer's education so that he can do an even better performance in the snaps that he does get than he has so far. I mean, think of they've used the Jack a lot in, I guess what would be like what sort of like reverse goal line situations. Like when they have a team pinned, that's where they yeah. kind of try to use it sometimes. Um, there's probably a football term for that, right? What would be the term for that? I don't think it's reverse goal line. I think we're going to coin reverse goal line today. And that's what we're going to call okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the, green we'll shirt. It, yeah. We're making it, like, all kinds of stuff. We'll call it the Baird zone. Baird oh, yeah. situations. Okay. We, if I'm going to name it, I'm going to, yeah. It used to be if we, if anybody put up a story on our site between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m., that was in the Baird window. So um, now oh, we the can Baird window was the later. Baird zone. It was after It is later? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. is like the dead zone. We don't post anything between oh. 5 oh, and 7 yeah. p.m. unless, like, unless, unless <laughs> CJ Stroud and Ryan Day got in a fist fight in the Woody parking lot. Um, um, okay, so this didn't. is the Baird zone, yes. Uh, yeah, but just Please use that in a question to Jim Knowles next year. Jim, when you guys have teams pinned in the Baird zone, is that really when you want to unleash Jack Sawyer? Well, listen, like, what are you talking about? I need you guys to be the wingman here, and you guys need to mention it. Like, it, if I say it, it sounds ridiculous. If you guys say it, like it's organically spreading, like it's word of mouth is getting it out there, and we sound like we're maybe even just more advanced in how we think about football than Knowles is, because like we know about the Baird zone and he doesn't. Where have you been, Jim? Yeah. Maybe oh, if you yeah, know no, about the Bears zone, again, they could have beat Michigan. This guy named a safety position the adjuster, so he might need help with names. So if we <laughs> just tell him it's the Bears zone, he might be like, oh, good, I don't have to name it then. But, you know, anyway, uh, to get okay. back to the actual so conversation, we, yes, like if you put him on the field, if he gets better at what he does, even for 15 snaps a game over the next month, and it's you've got Georgia pinned and it's a, a, and a drive that would have ordinarily gotten the midfield instead get stalled in a three and out just because of a play he makes like that may be the one thing that helps you beat Georgia that night. So that's kind of the context I'm looking at here. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's not, it's not, you say he put 115 snaps less than Zach Sawyer and JT did this year. Yeah. Zach cares. But uh, yeah, what I say, Zach Sawyer, that's just combining yeah. and making one big player. Zach and I mean, Jack sack attack just was not. Never happened. But it's Jack Sawyer's production actually isn't that far off from what Zach Harrison and JT were. JT, 28 total tackles, 10.5 TFLs, 3.5 sacks. Zach Harrison, 30 total tackles, 6.5 TFLs, and 3 sacks. Jack Sawyer, 23 total tackles, 6.5 TFLs, and 4.5 and sacks. Now, obviously, those two guys just had moments and games where you can point to and go, that was a Zach Harrison game. That was a JT game. Jack Sawyer just never had a game. That we can go, oh, this is the moment where the five-star recruit did five-star things for 60 minutes. And that's what we're, I, I think that's what I'm asking here is can that game be the Georgia game since he's playing a position to, as Jim Knowles was discussing it, it's set up to stop the run because it's supposed to be this position that kind of throws off run-blocking schemes because he can be lined up anywhere on any given snap. All right, Stephen, fifth pick to you. Who are you taking? 
So I I don't know if this one is on people's radar or not, but I think it should be. At least I think it should be on the coaches' radar. And it's Jaden Ballard. He has just not done much. And I thought that maybe he would have a bigger role once Jackson went down, just given how they played him in the against Notre Dame the moment Jackson left. He played 20 snaps in that game, and then he never played 20 snaps in any other game. But he's the closest thing they have to a Jamison Williams-style receiver who is this tall track speed, track speed, track speed, track speed. I will take the top off the defense if you just let me run straight and if you let me burn a cornerback. And it, I don't feel like they've had that consistently this year. Fleming was supposed to be that, and it felt like he was that for a minute. But then as the competition got better, his production started going down, and also his hands have been a little iffy here. And with all due respect to what Xavier Johnson has been here, if you're gonna at this point, you got a month of of, of preparation. If anyone's gonna run the so-called Jackson plays, I think it should be a Mekebuka in the slot running those plays. And I, I, there should be a role here for Jaden Ballard to be their fourth best receiver, given that skill set that he has to take a top off a of defense, especially when you're playing a defense like Georgia. So he was definitely on my list, and and we did in the Rants Pod. People asked about this. Um, you know, Julian Fleming's been that guy. Right, as mm-hmm. you said. But I also think defenses have tried to play Ohio State in a way to not let them take as many of those shots down the field. This would be a leap. Jaden Ballard, according to PFF, has only played nine offensive snaps in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 20 against Notre Dame, 14 Arkansas State, 18 Toledo, 10 Wisconsin, 13 Rutgers, 16 Michigan State. That's kind of like a, a some some blowouts in those games. And then the only other game he played in offensively, nine snaps against Indiana. And I do think, Stephen, you're right. Julian Fleming has had moments. I think Julian Fleming's been fine. I think there would, considering Jackson's been out the whole year and that Julian's played 450 snaps this year, if they really felt like they needed a little jolt, there was room here. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, it wasn't like he's just blocked by guys that you can't take off the field. And again, Julian Fleming's had some good moments. But this, I think for 2023, yeah, could he turn into that real deep threat guy? A Mecca is all slot. And then is it next year that it's like Marvin's on the field, a Mecca's on the field, and then it's Julian and Jaden at the other mm-hmm. spot, the way we thought maybe it would be Julian and Mecca this year if Jackson had been healthy. Is that the conversation we're having in the spring? That I can absolutely see. And part of it is this is the path that Brian Hartline has set all along. It's just sort of like guys have different journeys here it's it's kind of the high school ball you play the level you're at and that maybe you know that that marvin and Emeka were just even though they're in the same class with Jaden, they're just kind of maybe like a a cycle ahead and that Jaden is right on track and he is on track to help them in 2023 i would be surprised if it's now but i would not be surprised if it's next year nathan did you have Jaden ballard on your list much lower on my list because again, I think you know. For, first of all, I think the reason he played so much when Jackson got hurt on opening night was because Julian Fleming was hurt too. He wasn't there to play that night, yes, so that yes, was why yes. he had to play. And and Xavier Johnson too. Um, so that was a factor. And and I think you're right, Doug. That if they wanted Jaden Ballard, I think. Well, I don't think it's a want thing. If if Jaden Ballard had proven himself worthy of playing more, I think he would have played more. He would have been an entity in the second half of the year, and he hasn't been. And I don't think you can be, Steve, you make, uh, got kind of halfway to a good point here, which is like, yeah, he's the closest thing they might have to Jamison Williams right now. But 
that doesn't mean he's anywhere near what Jamison Williams was actually at this stage of his career. And you can't really be like a one trick pony. I know people want that deep threat and what they think his speed is, what his speed might legitimately be. But when you take, put him on the field and take off Fleming, how much are you giving up as a route runner? How much are you giving up as a blocker downfield? You've got to be able to do the whole job and not just be sort of specialized in this one skill set that is so dependent on other things that are a little bit out of your control from from snap to snap. But ultimately, Doug, kind of to echo what you're saying, I think it gets back to you're about to play the best defense you've played since, I mean, when was the last time Ohio State played a defense this good? Um, I know they're going to say Clemson in practice in 2019. But, Bama, but, yeah, but yeah, so like it's it's. And, and it's not as good as last year's, I know. But, like, still, like, you're about to play the biggest game of the year against a really, really, really good defense with some really good guys in the secondary. And I don't know if that's where you put in, where you take Fleming off the field and put somebody else in. I know what people are are getting at there, but I think just on usage, Ohio State is still going to, to go with its top three guys. I think it just having these extra snaps and the – all that all that extra month of development is going to be good for for Ballard. And I think he could have a bigger role next year, but for this game, I'm I'm skeptical that it would emerge. If I yeah, were to push again, back, I mean, the, the one thing is, I mean, when we started this, it's like it, this is about 2023 to be yes. right. This is like who's going to pop right to show what's going to happen next year. I mean, the idea that this is one of the four best teams in the country, they're not going to put in a bunch of guys who haven't played to play the best team in the country. So mm-hmm. I do think Ballard is. Next year, could but could he show stuff that, like, man, he's really put in some good work this year. Man, he's starting to show some flashes. I can't wait for spring ball with Jaden Ballard. Like, that thing, which I think is the primary discussion we talked about yeah. with bowl prep, that, Stephen, I think absolutely makes sense. Yes, anything else is just bonus, but I'm thinking more of the future. But even with the – I'll push back on the – he might not be anything close to Jameson. I mean, we didn't know that at this point in Jameson Williams' career. Two years into it where, yeah, he was playing, but that's because they didn't really have any other op- option to go with a th- third receiver because everybody else was a freshman. And so when he was out there, it was just, just run straight and get out the way because we're throwing to Chris and we're throwing to Garrett. And then he transfers to Alabama in his third year. And all of a sudden he's a ACL away from being the first wide receiver taken off the board. So for all we know, he's exactly on the same path that Jamison Williams. He just might not have to transfer to kind of pop in that way. Cause they might just use him more because he is, the, he could just be their third guy as a deep threat. But I, I that more, uh, yes, I'm saying that maybe he helps just Georgia. Maybe he doesn't, but more than likely he doesn't. But I do think that Ohio state's offense, these last two seasons, especially this year with Chris Olave being gone has missed a, they're taking away the deep ball, but it doesn't matter because I beat the coverage anyway, guy. And Jaden Ballard might be the best case of that, and he could spend the next month, you know, flashing that he is on his way to being something special in 2023. I think the next and month I don't, for him, I don't think one trick pony. One trick pony is maybe not the exact right thing, but the guy that we always compare him to because he went to the same high school, is Devin, Devin Smith. Smith. Yeah, and I don't know how many tricks Devin Smith had, but his main one was being a deep threat. That mm-hmm. if you throw up a 50-50 ball, he's going to run past a guy jump in the air, use body control, have good hands, and win 50-50 balls time after time after time. And there's going to be a new starting quarterback in 2023. And I don't know. He likes to chuck it. Could there be a thing where, well, that's a thing we really want because that guy is re- – maybe, right? Because you want – I think you and, – and the thing that works so well with Devin Smith in 14 was – 
again, it just worked out that way. But you think about the receivers they had. They were so specific. Devin Smith was that deep guy. Michael Thomas was the do-everything guy. Evan Spencer was like a tight end in a receiver's body who would block his butt off. And then Jalen Marshall was sort of a dynamic kind of slot guy that you could move around a little bit and make catches over the middle of the field. And they just were all pieces. And I think when you... When you fit the pieces together, we've talked a lot about how Marvin, with his size, is like a different kind of piece. They haven't quite had this, right? And they had it in 20 with Jameson, and they didn't know what to do with it. In Mm -hmm. a weird year where they had two other studs, it's nobody's fault, but they didn't know what they had. And maybe Jameson wasn't ready to do that to the same level also. But it would be interesting, Nathan, to drop like a pure deep ball threat into this offense again. It would it would be interesting. And now you still got to block on bubble screens and you still like you know running wide zone, you better make your block. Of course, we get that. But it could be fun. I could see how Jane Ballard could make, could could have a very fun big play role in this offense next year. No, I I could definitely see it too, and that's why I think this next month for him though they know he can do that. So what do you show them over the next month that proves that you should be a starting full-time receiver and that that isn't the one thing that you can bring to this offense? All right, we'll take our last break. When we come back, I'll make my sixth pick, and then we'll finish out with the last round in our draft of guys who could do something in bowl practice to pop next year on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're down. I I didn't exactly have my guys ranked. I didn't have Jack Sawyer on my list because I just wasn't thinking about it the same way you guys were thinking about it, but I think that was an interesting pick. Um, I would have picked Ballard if he wasn't there because I think there's a little bit of a drop here. I'm starting to be uncertain. So this is all 2023. This is not now, but I'm going to go with a guy that I think might have an opportunity, unless I'm thinking of it wrong, to win a starting spot next year. I I wouldn't be shocked if he won a starting spot next year. And I'm going to go with Tegra Shibola on the offensive line. Good As a guard who I think is a very interesting physical guy who is a young guy, and sometimes when you'd see the second-team offensive line out there, there would be times, I think, when you'd see me be like, man, it feels like that guy wants to get after somebody. Mm. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, refine the technique a little bit. It's okay, you're you're learning here. But in a world where Matthew Jones isn't going to be back and they're going to not have tackles and they're going to be trying to figure some stuff out on the offensive line next year, if it's like, oh, no, Tegra, he just needed to round into form, but we come back in the spring and it's like, oh, who's the guy who's getting after it every day in practice? It's him. I could see that, Nathan. I just, in, in, in trying to search with person plus opportunity, could he start to show that this month that then propels him next March and April? I could see it. He was definitely on my list. And, you know, we just saw a situation where, you know, Matt Jones couldn't play. They had to go with somebody else at right guard. They tried Enoch Vamahi. They ended up having to switch over to Josh uh, Fryer there, who is not who I think they think would be. You know, he's supposed to be this team's right tackle next year, potentially. And Shabola is the guy who has been the second string right guard. And can you in this next month prove that you are um, someone that they could trust maybe even if, if Jones couldn't play, like, you know, I, I assume that's still Friar's job, you know, in an emergency, but like, how much can you close that gap? What can you do in the next month to show that next year? Cause who knows what happens in the portal? They're looking for tackles. They, they probably need to find tackles, although it's not quite as interesting yet as what's available there at cornerback. But 
you know, if if you if they're bringing in tackles now, does that increase competition at guard? Are you having to fight for a spot to start next year? Um, so yeah, I, I had him on my list because he is the guy we haven't talked about him a lot in relation to this offensive line this year. Other guys, whether it was Vamahi, Fryer, Simachowski because he's or Mahalski because he's the the left tackle, um, heir apparent maybe um, have come up more. But he's kind of just quietly stayed on schedule. Like coming into the year, we were looking at guys who sort of should be earning that trust at this point, even if they're not playing. And him being the second string guy, I thought was a good example of that. And now do you just take the step, the natural step into being a a third year starter next year? I think it's always a good thing to perk your ears up a little bit when these true freshman offensive linemen who don't get here to the summer find themselves in the two deep by the season. And I mean, we saw it with Harry Miller, and then he was a starter in year two. We saw it with Paris, John- uh, Paris. Uh, we saw it with Do- Donovan Jackson, and now he's a starter in year two. Ted Grishabola showed up in the summertime, and he's in the two deep. So we don't know what's going to happen with this offensive line room. Everybody under the sun, everybody named Mother right now is in the portal. So there might be some portal guys who join the team. There might not be. But if we're just going to base it off the guys on the roster right now, they've teased at the idea of Donovan Jackson being a left tackle. And it's part of the reason he's a left guard, not a right guard. So you get to practice four of the spring, and it feels like Donovan Jackson's our best left tackle. We like Zen Mahulski. We like what he brings to but Donovan Jackson's our best left tackle. Tegra makes it a little easier to do that if you feel like Tegra and Enoch are your interior guys along with uh, um, Luke Whipler, and then you know Josh Fryer and Donovan Jackson are your right tackles. Okay, that's pick seven. Nathan, you have pick uh, – that was pick six. Nathan, you have pick seven. Who you got? Uh, so I'm going to take Jair Brown here, a guy who, as a, a true freshman, has gotten on the field, has, uh, again, out of necessity, sort of forced into some playing time at times this year because of uh, injury things that were happening. But I thought has held his own. And what do you show in the next month? That uh, How does that experience show up on the field in the next month? Because, again, we don't know what's going to happen out of the portal. We think Ohio State's looking for corners. You don't know if they're actually going to be able to get any. You don't know if the ones they get eventually are going to actually be able to jump to the top of a depth chart. And, again, if you're talking about just guys who are on schedule, like if next year you're talking about a cornerback rotation that is Burke, Hancock, Johnson, and Jair Brown – that's what they've recruited towards. That's what it's sort of supposed to be at this point. Three third-year guys, a promising second-year guy. That could be a four-man rotation at corner or just your two deep at corner. But I think there's an opportunity here because you, the, everyone in that room knows that the performance wasn't sufficient this year. And there were reasons why, like physical reasons why partially that that didn't happen. But you know what? having gotten your feet wet, having gotten encouragement, you know, Jim Knowles has mentioned him a couple times that, yeah, he got forced onto the field, but he looked good when he did. He knew where he was supposed to be. He did his job. So what do you do in the next month to kind of reinforce that? You probably need to be making a good impression right now as this staff is deciding what it wants to do as far as bringing in outside guys. 192 snaps for Jair Brown this year. That was the same number as Josh Proctor. That's more than Cam Martinez. That's more than Jordan Hancock. That's 135 more than fellow true freshman Sonny Styles. As you said, Nathan, this is a guy who, you know, because of circumstance, was was forced onto the field at times, just like Denzel Burke was a year ago. Remember, he played 52 snaps against Wisconsin. He played 34 snaps against Indiana. Did not play in the Michigan game. 
but there's, I think, Stephen, I, there's, there's a little bit of a Burke comparison here. Like, well, maybe this wasn't ideal to put a true freshman on the field at corner, but we kind of didn't have a choice. And then when we put you out there, you, you kind of held up like you did. You, you know, you got put in a really tough spot. Now, Denzel Burke was like times three because they made mm-hmm. him start the opener and he started all last year. Jair Brown wasn't that, but Jair Brown was a primary quarter corner in like one or two games this year for these guys and then sprinkled in elsewhere. You know, you get thrown in the fire. Sometimes it winds up helping you down the road. I think the Burke comparison is that he's better than what his recruiting ranking was because, and then thank God he was for the sake of this team at times. And so yeah, I, I like this. I think now he can, but unlike Burke, he had less pressure to be that because it wasn't from day one. It was two or three weeks into the season, but then also it wasn't the full season. It was, Hey, can you really help us out in this pinch? And now he's gotten to get back to his regular development. But I do think, if nobody's out in the portal, it would make sense if it's a four-man rotation next year, unless one of these guys just turns himself into, I should never come off the field, which we haven't seen any proof of that yet. All right, Jair Brown is pick seven. Steven, who are you taking at eight? So I had like three or four guys that I considered here, but then as I'm sitting here thinking, I can't believe we're not, he has to be, Devin Brown, he is already behind in the quarterback battle simply because Kyle McCord has been here a year longer and Kyle McCord has a start under his belt and has also thrown a pass. We're back here again. So he is on the craziest of uphill climbs, even more of an uphill climb than what Kyle McCord had because at least CJ and Jack Miller were equal to him in terms of how much actual experience they'd had because they had just been handing the ball off. Kyle McCord has been the legitimate number two quarterback and Devin Brown has to do, he has to not only catch up to Kyle McCord, but then he has to pass him and make sure Kyle McCord just doesn't retake the lead. And it would seem like in a bowl practice where there are going to be more opportunities for second and third stringers to just get more reps in some situations, this is his chance to really show some things in a way that he probably hasn't been able to do since maybe spring practice because in fall camp you're trying to get your starters ready. And during the season, you're more worried about what CJ is doing and to a lesser extent Kyle is doing than you are the third string quarterback. So... I was going to take him last if you didn't take him. 67 snaps offensively for Kyle McCord this year, 15 for Devin Brown. We had such conversations, I think to the point where some Texans were like, stop with the Kyle McCord conversations. But this was something that we talked about that Ryan Day was asked about a lot during the year. Kyle McCord's, he's not getting ready. To, he's not getting a chance to throw the ball much. Man, like, you know, are you going to let him run the offense and some of these blowouts? You look at the snaps. Um, eight against Arkansas State. This is McCord. Again, because Devin mm-hmm. Brown barely got on the field. Eight for McCord against Arkansas State. 14 Toledo. Nine Wisconsin. Six Rutgers. 16 Michigan State. Five Iowa. Nine Indiana. The reason we're talking about McCord as you nominate Devin Brown, Stephen, is because I don't know how far ahead Kyle McCord is right now. Of course he has the year. And that two, you know, two years ago he started a game. But given how things went this year, I feel like, of course, Kyle McCord is ahead at this moment, Stephen. But, I mean, how do we know? I'm not a thousand percent sure that Kyle McCord is going to be Ohio State's starting quarterback next year. Because I feel like, from the experience standpoint, McCord's edge, what he got isn't so great to me that Devin Brown couldn't win it starting in December then a bunch in the spring, and then in the preseason. Whereas if Kyle McCord had been out there, you know, 
threw a hundred passes this year. It's like, yeah, that guy, that guy's got it for sure. I'm not saying Kyle McCord doesn't have it, but we didn't really see it. So I feel like Devin Brown is maybe not as far behind as he would have been if McCord had played more. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why I brought it up. It's it's and maybe I mean backup quarterbacks don't play, so it's 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 fine, whatever. But there is a sense of how much of what Kyle got this year is because he knew a lot of the stuff and Devin Brown's trying to learn how to play college football. And now that he's had a year of learning how to play college football, now this is about who's the better football, better quarterback. And if Devin Brown can use bowl practice as a way to start his run rate of proving that. And it's not a do or die situation. I, I I don't know. Maybe he transfers if he doesn't win it. Maybe he doesn't. That's the world we live in. I, know, I mean, Kyle McCord, if he doesn't win it, I would bank money that he's not back here to be the backup for a third straight season. But maybe Devin Brown sticks around. But this is a chance to throw a wrinkle in a lot of Ohio State's plans if Devin Brown wins this job. Because then, as things stand, because they don't have a quarterback commit in 2023 and TJ's gone, if Devin Brown wins this job, then he's the only guy on this roster who next year who was on it the year before. And he can start that process if he really wants to be a second-year quarterback, first-year starter in December. It's why I think what do you, you think of Devin take, Brown yeah, in this well, situation? I was going to say, I think you could take Tom McCord here just as easy as you could take Devin Brown. I think I think bull prep is big for Tom McCord, hmm. too, like to reinforce the standing that you have on the roster right now and, and, and show that you're able to maybe – you're ready to take that next step. Somebody said, I guess day maybe said recently, or maybe it was somebody else that we were talking to that during the bye week that they gave Stroud some time off and McCord got more first string snaps there. I know that last year when Stroud left to go to the Heisman and they had some practices and and the Heisman and the other award stuff. And they had some practices that McCord took some first string reps then so, you know, he could be in a position if that if they follow that same plan where he's getting some extra first string time and and it's just a couple of practices here and there. But again, you're trying to make the most of, of limited opportunities until the, the competition really starts. So I, I I think all you everything you guys are saying about Brown is true, but I had McCord actually higher on my list than him of guys who this next month could be important for because it is sort of his job to lose. How do you maybe put some distance between you and the guy who's chasing you? I don't think McCord is going to have that benefit this year because a lot of that stuff is also during finals week, so they're not practicing anyway. Like CJ's gone yep. now in this award. So it's, I think they got they kind of lucked out there because finals week wasn't the same week as the award stuff week. So even more to the point, that's those are a few extra reps that if it were a year ago, Kyle McCord would be getting. He's not getting them this year. So it's not something else he has over Devin Brown. So we're not going to do it now because Ohio State is the number four team in the country and playing in the playoff. But we have some discussions ahead about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown and where this Ohio State quarterback situation is. And again, it is not from a place of panic or worry. It is just from a place of curiosity because these are two five-star quarterbacks that at a lot of other places, if you had just one of these guys, it'd be like, oh, who's there? Who's, oh my gosh, you're losing CJ Stroud. Who's going to replace him? It's like, well, this guy is because he's the five-star behind him. It's him. Because I, for either one of these guys, that would make sense. Not that people don't love competition, but if you said, I, I mean, what do you mean who's going to be the quarterback? It's the third string five, the second string third year five star. That's Kyle McCord. It's him. Or it's it's Devin Brown. He was a huge recruit. He had a good first year and he's going to start in year two. Both those things would be normal, which means to me, I think this is a competition. So 
And because we just did, McCord is not so far ahead. So we had to have, I'm glad you brought it up, Stephen. We had to have a quarterback. Nathan, you said you had McCord. We had to have a quarterback discussion in this, right? We had to go through this because I do think there is a, it's enough of a little window here and they are going to have a quarterback competition this offseason. But we'll leave that there for now because they're, uh, they're uh, you know, trying to beat Georgia. So I have one more. I only have one more name on my list. I only, I, I had eight names that I came up with and, but one of them was CJ Hicks who were not drafting. So I only had, there's only one guy of my seven that's still here. And I feel good about taking this guy. He is the fourth highest rated true freshman in this class. And the three guys ahead of him are CJ Hicks, Sonny Styles, and Devin Brown, who we've talked about and sort of just on his own, Ryan mm. Day on a radio show a couple weeks ago in Michigan Prep mentioned that he was doing a good job on scout team, which is the kind of thing that matters, right? He's a physical edge guy, Kenyatta Jackson. He was a big deal when Ohio State got him, Nathan. He has not played very much. You know, Caden Curry, I think just as, as you said, is sort of, as we talked about, is sort of flashed a little bit more on special teams and that kind of thing. But this this guy fits a profile that they need. And when the coach is saying you're doing a good job on scout team, that matters. 24 defensive snaps, Nathan, for Kenyatta Jackson this season. This is not about playing Georgia. And again, he I think they're right, they're maintaining the red shirt. He only played in three games. But this guy in year two next year, I think absolutely Maybe there's an expectation that he's going to be in the mix. Maybe he's the fourth defensive end. Maybe he's the de- third defensive end. But that, you know, we saw how much JJB played this year as the fourth defensive end. That's 250 snaps. That's not nothing. So I think there's an opportunity that Kenyatta Jackson in 2023 has a real role for Ohio State. No, again, it's about who looks like they're on schedule. And he definitely looks on schedule. He looks like he's poised for to take the next step. And What we've also obviously seen is that even when you have guys that you think are going to dominate snaps at the top at at the edge rushing spots, JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer, for instance, for next year, they're going to keep rotating. That's just the nature of the defensive line. And who can go in there and make the most of the limited snaps that they're playing as the second wave? And Caden Curry, I think, would still be higher on my list. But I had my eye on Jackson for an exercise like this, maybe just because of, yeah, again, getting mentioned recently and that the fact that they're losing guys out of this room, out of that position, and they're going to need to backfill somehow. And, um, and, and he's just, he looks like he is making the progress you're supposed to make as a true freshman to maybe be that in a crowded room. Like he, again, he isn't going to get the chance to get on the field this year. There's just too many guys ahead of him, but we've seen that before with some other guys at Ohio state. And it's what you do in that second year. When some of those guys clear out that sometimes determines like where you're really headed. Another guy who didn't get here to the summer. So he was already going to have to play catch up to what Caden Curry was doing to be, to begin with physically. He just reminds me so much of Zach Harrison, just without the five-star label. So he won't be three years into this going, is his career a failure? Has he lived up to it? He doesn't have that pressure. But just if you just look at the way he – the first time I saw him in person was over the summer when they were doing summer workouts. He looked the same way that Zach Harrison looked as a true freshman. And I think that's – I think they might be on similar, similar trajectories as far as the type of player they might be for Ohio State. Okay, so that's our nine. I – Used up my whole list. Steven, was there anybody that you were thinking about that didn't get drafted? Yeah, yeah. Um, one player and then one group 
Kai Stokes. I know. I I, I know. I knew it was Kai Stokes. Yeah. I knew it was Kai. That, he was the yeah. only other guy I didn't have who I was considering for Kenyatta Jackson. I knew you yeah. were going to say Kai Stokes. Yeah, Kai. I mean, there's going to be opportunity that safety. Lathan Ransom is the only uh, starter here who's got an opportunity. Who has still got a decision to make whether he's going to come back or not. And he is. I don't think he's going to do the Marvin Harrison All American. You know, Thor, you know, best player in this position thing. But the concept of we heard about that dude all spring. And then there just wasn't a chance for him to get on the field because there were veterans in front of him. But then sophomore year is an opportunity, and then bang, he's a dude. That's on the table here for him. I, I, I honestly think that. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a starter next year. And then the freshman wide receivers were used to a freshman wide receiver doing something. And Keon Grays, Caleb Brown, Kojo Antwi, and Caleb Burton, uh, two of those, uh, Brown and, and Antwi didn't get here until the summer, but they didn't do anything this year. And there and that train's gonna keep rolling. Brian Hartline's gonna keep bringing dudes in here, and there are four dudes in this 2023 class. And I think that we're talking about this in a positive way with a lot of these guys. I think with them, it's more of like, dude, you better use this bow practice to start building some momentum mm. here, or there's gonna be some guys who come up in here in the spring, and you're gonna get passed. And we haven't really seen. We can say Jackson passed up Jamison Williams, but just given the way things may have worked this year, I think all four of those guys would have played if Jamison stuck around. It's just Jamo knew that if I want to be a first rounder, I got to go somewhere where I need to be a dude and I'm not going to be the dude. I'm going to be one of the dudes here. We haven't seen a group get passed in that wide receiver room. If somebody doesn't make a jump here in bowl practice and before those guys get here, I won't be shocked if Brandon Ennis and Noah Rogers or Carnell Tate and Bryson Rogers, at least two of those guys, start passing up some of these guys who are freshmen right now. Nathan, anybody else that you were considering that didn't get picked? I, I thought we might talk about the freshman receivers too. I had um, Caleb Brown specifically on my list as as somebody I was curious about. I had Kai Stokes next on my list. Um you know, somebody that I, I was going to maybe float out there, and again, it kind of almost falls into the Jack story of like, well, he's older and he's played, but like, there's probably nobody on this offense right now that wants to get back on the field and prove themselves more than G. Scott. And mm. what can he, you know, what does he do in the next month to make up for a pretty big gaffe in the, um, in the Michigan game? And, but on top of that, he's still a guy that like, you can tell that they think there's something there. They've seen it. He's, he's, he's hinting at it, but they don't trust him yet, you know, in a full role. And is that role going to grow for 2023? And it's possible like Kate Stover wouldn't come back next year. He's going to have an opportunity. He's got a decision to make. And if for some reason he doesn't come back, is G Scott ready to take that job and run with it? And so this next month is uh, maybe a big one for him to put that moment in the Michigan game behind him and try to stay on track to be a, a, a bigger part of this offense next year. All right. So in the end, the nine guys we drafted, Sonny Styles, Jordan Hancock, Caden Curry, Jack Sawyer, Jaden Ballard, Tegra Shibola, Jair Brown, Devin Brown, and Kenyatta Jackson, guys who might be able to use bowl prep to propel themselves probably for next year, but eh, maybe even for this game on December 31st against Georgia. We will continue bringing you guys at least five podcasts a week as we prepare for Ohio State in the college football playoff semifinals. Lots of stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. College Football Survivor Show, we're going to continue. It's a playoff show. 
So the, guess what? Playoffs here. So we're going to continue to do stuff there. Um, two pods up there, one bonus pod this week, one regular pod. If you've never tried the College Football Survivor Show, would certainly invite you to do that. And, of course, the text, 614-350-3315. Again, if you've never done it, like Ohio State's in the national championship game, and not in the, in the in the semifinals on December 31st, you get a two-week free two-week free trial, you could backdate it and mark on your calendar, I'm going to start my two-week free trial here so that I get, like, my day 14 is December 31st and the semifinal, I can get the live text during the game and that kind of thing. If you wanted to do that, right? And then you could bail if they lose and say, oh, well, they lost and didn't cost me any money. Maybe put a little note in your calendar to join us. For now, though, we appreciate you guys listening, as always. For Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was... Buckeye Talk.